Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Well, gee, Gavin, I guess if I had to say my idea of the worst Christmas ever would be a Christmas I had to spend with you. Yes. The following podcast contains... Profanity, food jokes, and tired comedy references. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. Can you imagine you were getting a uh, fun, festive holiday episode from a guy who hates Christmas? <laughs> I don't know. What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 430, Carl's Worst Christmas and Other Holiday Tales. This is just on the show, and we are talking about ways Christmas was ruined. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Holiday Ornament Safety Council. I want to remind you to keep holiday ornaments on your tree, not in your body. Every year, holiday ornaments and decorations wind up, whether accidentally or intentionally, in places they were never meant to be. This results in awkward conversations in emergency rooms around this fair country. The Holiday Ornament Safety Council reminds seasonal revelers to practice care and safety with plastic icicles, elves on shelves, and the tiny baby Jesus from the major scenes. These items are not intended for anything other than festive holiday decor, and any other use is a, is a risk to health and your reputation. The Holiday Ornament Safety Council, just because Santa slid down a chimney, doesn't mean he should slide up yours. Mom? Merry Christmas. Mom, the TV's broke. What are we going to do all night? Celebrate the birth of Christ. Now put the presents under the tree. Connie, honey, look who dropped by. Merry Christmas, Connie. Merry Christmas, Connie. Uh, <laughs> difference does any of this make now? You're getting a divorce. Mother. What? Is it possible for you to shut the fuck up for ten seconds? Lord. Don't talk to me like that in my own house. You know what, Mom? You know what I'm going to get you next Christmas? A big wooden cross. So every time you feel unappreciated for all your sacrifices, you can climb on up and nail yourself to it. Gary, get my bags. I'm leaving. Oh, Go get him yourself. He's not your errand boy. Has everyone gone nuts? Who the hell do you think you are? Slipper socks. Medium. I have never been married. As women, we deserve better. Harsh, but fair. So my experiences in holiday disasters is notably limited to my childhood. And as a rule, they were usually pretty benign. I, sadly for the show, but happily for my mental health, have no real horror stories involving Christmases. This is probably because my parents balanced the demands of their parents to see their grandchildren tear open gifts like hyenas tearing open the entrails of a dead gazelle in a logical way. Christmas Eve, we went to my mom's parents, and Christmas Day, we went to my dad's. Logical. This was a sweet deal for us kids. I mean, we got three fucking Christmases, counting the real one we got at home. And I suspect some variation is how most families deal with these issues, but the negotiations over which set of in-laws gets which day is where things probably get tricky. 
And it was easy for my parents. My mom's family was always a Christmas Eve family. And if you come from two big Christmas Day families, though, things are going to go badly and feelings are going to get hurt no matter which decision you make. That's your choice. If you switch every other year, there's still going to be hard feelings. Now, one of the things that never happened when I was growing up was either set of the in-laws coming to our house on Christmas Day. I can't let that happen. I just can't. There were reasons, big families, lots of grandkids that wanted to see grandparents, logistics, but I really think the biggest reason is my mom didn't want them there. Once we moved out of Tennessee, we never went back for Christmas. I mean, it was a long way, particularly when we were in Guam, so Christmas became a nuclear family affair, and honestly, I liked it better that way. No fighting with your cousins because they got a better gift than you. No arguments about who gets to help Santa. And most of all, no schlepping your kids over the cre all over creation after they woke up at 5 a.m. three hours after you finally got to bed because you spent all night trying to assemble goddamn presents. You know how you always wanted a, a Barbie dream house? If I were to give a young married couple one piece of advice, which, okay, I understand. Saving you from, from, from this hedonist giving you advice. <laughs> But really, I think the secret to a happy holiday, indeed a happy marriage, is several hundred to several thousand miles between you and your in-laws, both sets. The further, the better. Even at Christmas. Even at Christmas. Especially on Christmas. Trust me, you won't be sorry. The reason for all this preamble is, well, the original plan for this week's show was going to be a What the Hell movie night, where I told you interesting things about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I had some cool facts about the history of National Lampoons, and there was this oral history in the Rolling Stone magazine. But hey, you know what? This is not that show. So what happened? A couple of things. When I went to go watch the movie, I quickly realized I, I don't actually like the movie very much. Blasphemer! I don't want to yuck your yum, but hey, Chevy Chase is an asshole, and most of the jokes are just Chevy falling down, and the rest of them are pretty fucking predictable. I mean, the only likable character in the entire goddamn movie is Randy Quaid's. That is saying a lot. It is, and honestly, most people are just watching it for Cousin Eddie to say the one line. I mean, yeah, it's a great line, but I'm not gonna spend 97 minutes watching a movie just to hear Randy Quaid say the one. And well, yeah, I could do a whole 30-minute show about Randy Quaid. Doing a whole 30-minute show about Cousin Eddie? That ain't gonna happen. So I was in a pickle because I now had no pre-Christmas topic. And again, I fucking hate Christmas. So I decided to do what I usually do this time of year. He just makes people sad. <laughs> yeah. And tell you stories about other people's ruined Christmas. My first story is one that I call the man in the Santa hat. And it did not happen to me I was merely present at the culmination of a series of increasingly unfortunate events that led to the incident itself. Now, I'll say at the outset of this little story that domestic violence is not funny. However, in this case, where there was no actual violence, I'm going to tell you it is one of the funniest goddamn things I have ever witnessed in my life. It took place in northeastern Arkansas the week of Christmas 1989. Now, the names that follow have been changed not to protect anyone's identity, because mostly because 40 years later, I can't actually remember what they were. I ain't fucking senile. Fine, you're not senile. So we're going to say Carl and his wife, Wynn, were getting ready for the holidays. The plan was simple. Wynn would leave with the kids a few days before Christmas to go to relatives' homes, and Carl, who had to work, would follow on a few days later, but before Christmas Eve. 
So Wynn packed the kids and presents and drove off, leaving Carl behind. But you see, Carl had holiday plans of his own. Those plans involved a woman that I'm going to call Janet. I'm terrible at making up fake names. And they involved Carl's Yule log crackling merrily on Janet's hearth. Carl and Janet had just settled in for a long winter shtup when unexpectedly, Wynn returned home and caught Carl. It is caught in flagrante delicto. And Wynn did not take this well. Indeed, she became somewhat peeved. And her peevishness manifested in such a manner that the entire neighborhood quickly understood that Christmas for Carl was very much ruined. And this is when things start to get weird. Because according to the witnesses, Janet was the first to flee from the house. And fortunately for Janet, Wynn was way more concerned with Carl's placement on the naughty list than hers. So she was able to grab a bedspread and her purse and make it to her car for an escape. Carl, however was not so lucky because the only thing he could get his hands on to cover his mistletoe was a Santa hat. This is because Wynn was now in hot pursuit of him with a comically large butcher knife. And it's at this point in time that I guess some physical descriptions are needing because Carl was a large athletic African-American man and Wynn was a tiny Filipino woman, maybe all of four foot nine in heels and maybe wearing a hundred pounds soaking wet with a sack of presents on her back. And she was chasing Carl around the outside of her home with a knife that was more suited to dressing reindeer on the Tundra than it was for any modern kitchen use. Carl, holding the Santa hat over his sleigh bells, pleading at the top of his voice for wind to, please, baby, just calm down and listen. And all of this was to a soundtrack of Christmas music played by one of the neighbor's outdoor Christmas displays. And this was the festive holiday scene that I and several of my fellow young Air Force policemen arrived to witness. And what we saw was definitely a December to remember. We're a very large, very naked man with nothing more than a Santa hat betwixt his sleigh bells in the outside world and a very small, very angry woman with a very large knife screaming profanity in at least two language, maybe three, there could have been some Latin in there, while the while, Bing Crosby softly saying, I'll be home for Christmas You can plan on me Fortunately for everyone, as soon as we showed up, Wynn realized that turning Carl into a split roast for Christmas was probably a bad idea. Drop the knife and everything ended, if not happily, at least without bloodshed. It's some 40 years later, and this image is still in my head. The Christmas lights twinkling in windows, red and blue police lights whirling, Bing crooning, Carl holding that hat over his junk, Wynn in handcuffs still spewing curses at Carl, and all the neighbors lined up watching Carl have the worst Christmas ever. But over the years, I thought a lot about that night, and I wondered if there was a lesson that might be learned from Carl's indiscretion. And the only one that I could come with up with is this. If you're going to get caught balls deep cheating and then chased around by a tiny furious woman with a giant knife, try not to have a soundtrack when it happens because it makes it a lot more memorable. I can't hear Bing Crosby and not think of Carl every single goddamn time. 
This next story I call, I saw Santa jerking it in the mall. Certainly didn't happen to me. I mean, I heard it third hand, so its provenance is not assured. But yeah, totally made it. Oh, you're good. No, I, I, I heard it. I just didn't make it up. Now, if the person made it up, well, they probably did. The story, as it was told to me, originates at a mall somewhere in the Midwest sometime in the mid-1980s. Like many retail establishments, they hired a selection of Santas to hear the request of all the good little boys and girls in hopes that their parents would spend large amounts of money in said mall. And one of the main side hustles in these Santa endeavors is taking photos of your cherub sitting on Santa's lap. Uh, of course, these days it's all digital, but in the late 80s, there was a production lag due to the film developing process that could be hours or days, depending on the amount of money one wished to spend. Can't exactly drop that stuff off at the neighborhood photo map. I mean, they did actually just drop it off at the neighborhood photo map. And because it was far cheaper for Santa to also be the photographer, that meant that there was a switch, usually a foot switch on Santa's chair, that he would step on to take the photo. Now, in this situation... The Santa in question had decided to criss his Kringle while wearing about, well, 50% of his Santa suit, spread an eagle, and fully turgid atop Santa's throne, and snapping several photos of himself using said foot switch. You were jerking off. Presumably for his and Mrs. Claus' personal use. Now, far be it from me to kink shame. If you like stroking the candy cane while dressed as Father Christmas, I say more power to you. And in St. Nick's defense, there were no children present at the time. However, if you choose to photograph yourself having a holly jolly while dressed as Santa in Santa's workshop, you will want to ensure that you have complete and total control of the chain of custody of those photos. And in this case, that chain of custody had some missing links. Because, you see, in those days, voter developing was a bulk process and usually assigned number codes so that exposure numbers X, Y, and Z went to people X, Y, and Z. And so, yes, I'm assuming... Don't make assumptions. ...that the finished product would come to him personally, as sometimes happened, different photos got put in the envelope by whomever was processing them, whether, whether intentionally or not. The dudes that did photo processing back in the day had something of a twisted sense of humor. And so it was that a day or so after some parents had photographs taken of their special day with Santa, instead of opening an envelope of photos featuring the beaming faces of happy, hopeful children, they opened an envelope of Santa Claus run, run Rudolph and himself upon his throne. This, you might expect caused some consternation. I mean, you're not going to send out the family Christmas cards of his photos with a naked from the waist down fully erect Santa St. Nicholas showing his season's greetings to all and sundry. Although, I have to say, it would be better than the same dumb photos of your shitty kids that you send out every year. And Judas will remember Christmas of 84 far more vividly if she saw jolly St. Nick jerking it. It's a Christmas miracle. People were fired, arrests were threatened, lawsuits were touted, and I can only assume that the mall decided to hire some teenager to actually press the button on the camera for the Santa photos the next year. But I think we can all feel blessed that digital photography replaced film so that these little accidents don't happen anymore. Unless, of course, Aunt Judith happens to pick, pick up your unlocked phone and starts going through your camera roll. But hey, that's on Aunt Judith, not on you. You didn't show that to her. She went snooping. Ah, ah what a nice photo. 
Now, some of the best and worst Christmas stories you will ever hear come from people who work in hospitals. Don't be sad. No, no, I'm not going to be telling you the awful ones. Uh, I mean, this one's a little sad. It's not tragic. Unless, of course, you're the one that I'm telling the story about. Now, this is a little tale I, uh, I call the elf in yourself. It's code for butt stuff. I got this story from an emergency room nurse I knew at a certain university hospital in our nation's capital that's named for our nation's first president, but, you know, I'm not naming names. It was her first Christmas Eve shift in an ER, and a lot of times Christmas can be shockingly busy in an ER. But on this particular silent night, things had been unusually slow. Sometime after midnight, a man entered the emergency room and told the admitted nurse that he might have swallowed something, and he was worried that it might be stuck. He was not in obvious duress. Indeed, he was rather calm, composed, and so she handed him a stack of paperwork required for every ER visit and watched him walk away to a counter to begin filling out the forms. This, she thought, was slightly peculiar, as most people usually took a seat, but he seemed to be standing while he filled out said forms. Once he brought them back, she looked them over and told them that someone would be with him shortly. Now, even on a slow night in an emergency room, unless you were bleeding profusely, turning blue and gasping for air, you're not going to be seen right away. And so it was roughly an hour before said gentleman was brought into an exam room by the nurse who told me the story. She settled in the room, took his vitals, and began assessing his medical issue. He had, he said, swallowed something that he was afraid was stuck, and she asked what it was. When did he swallow it, and where did he think it was stuck? The butt in his butt. We're not there yet. The man was very vague, and my friend began to get a little exasperated by his evasions and finally told him he could go back outside and sit and wait until someone else could help him. And that is when he said that he hadn't exactly swallowed something, but, you know, he had... And it's in his butt! Now, any emergency room professional will tell you this is not uncommon. They're trained to deal with it professionally, meaning they don't giggle in the exam room in front of the patient. So she asked him what he might have placed there, and he replied that it was a Christmas decoration that he had put Santa Claus in his anus. Oh, who? Father Christmas. Yeah. There was a moment of deep silence in that ER exam room as she processed information. Attempting to fill that long, awkward pause, the man further explained that this was not what it looked like. He had not intended to place Father Christmas in his nether region. You see, that while decorating his tree in anticipation of a festive morning, he had grown hot and sweaty due to the roaring fire that he had in his fireplace and removed all of his clothing so that he might be more comfortable. As he laid out his tree trimming, Santa had slipped between the couch cushions unbeknownst to our hapless reveler, and when he grew weary from all of his festive activities, he sat down upon the couch and inadvertently sat upon said claws, causing claws to slide deep inside himself, and due to its placement, he had been unable to remove said Santa from his chimney flue. My nurse friend nodded, left the exam room, and told the intern what the problem was, and promptly stepped away to giggle helplessly for several minutes. The intern, who was also a medical professional, went in to uh, have a look. He returned a few minutes later to the room where the nurse was, where he also broke into the giggles. According to the intern, upon a visual examination, all he could see was the ball of a whitish fluff on the top of Santa's cap, beyond the convenient reach of what he described as manual manipulation, meaning the extraction would require an instrument to successfully remove said Santa. However... The man with a cringle in his butt could not recall if said Santa had any appendages that might make said removal 
less than simple. Say pointy curly shoes, a large sack of toys, or for example, reindeer antlers. Ergo, an x-ray would be required to ensure that the extraction of Sinterklaas was done safely. So array to radiology, quick, quick, quick to see the placement of old Saint Nick. When the x-rays returned, there was the perfect image of Santa nestled neatly in the man's rectum like baby Jesus in the mangers. There were no dangerous protuberances that might lacerate the walls of said rectum, and a judicious application of lubricant and a pair of forceps would be all that were required to remove one Santa sign from the bum of our tree decorator. After a short conversation with a gentleman, the intern, ably assisted by a night nurse, finessed the figure from his backside. After a brief wait to ensure there was no bleeding or other signs of distress, he was discharged early on Christmas morning, leaving the ornament so deftly removed from his behind for the rest of the staff to treasure. And as he walked from the emergency room, one of the doctors from the day shift entered the emergency room doors dressed as, well, you can probably guess. Claus, Santa. And wished him a very Merry Christmas. And this was simply too much for the professionalism of the ER staff to bear. And they burst into laughter as the Santa smuggler walked sadly out the door. It was not the most professional night of her life, but it remained the best Christmas shift in ER she had ever worked. And I think we can learn a valuable lesson. When decorating your tree in the noob, check your couch cushions for Papa Noel before you sit. You totally just made that up. <laughs> These aren't my stories. I am but a humble recounter of Christmas miracles. And after all, what's Christmas without just a little bit of mystery? While desperately trying to find something Christmassy to talk about for the show, I went and searched for Christmas disaster stories on the old internet. And all of them were some version of these. Taking The first one taken from BuzzFeed. Quote, my aunt got way too drunk, accused different family members of pooping in her shower, then officially passed out and peed herself. No one had pooped in the shower, unquote. Or this one that I got from Vice. This was when I was 15 or 16, which is more than old enough to know better. It was about 9 a.m. on Christmas morning. My brother told me to go ask my parents what they wanted for breakfast because one of our Christmas traditions was to make breakfast in bed for our parents. So he was like, go ask whether pancakes or eggy bread or whatever. And I didn't knock. I just walked straight into the room and saw my dad balls deep in my mum, and it was not great. That vision was just etched into my head for the rest of Christmas, unquote. I did not need to see that. Could have been worse. Could have been Carl and Janet. On <laughs> This next one is from countrylife.uk. Quote, on Boxing Day, my six-year-old son was trying to crack a walnut and put the nutcrackers between his legs in order to gain leverage. And now I know, in the local A&E department, that's, um, that's ambulance and emergency, it's ER in England, why they call nutcrackers, unquote. There are so many more Christmas stories like this. Apparently, Christmas is a rough time around the world. And like I said, not a fucking fan of Christmas. It's fine if you like it. I'm not shitting in your eggnog. But for me, stories like this are kind of the true meaning of Christmas. We spend so much time trying to make a perfect holiday, we become obsessed like Clark Griswold, <laughs> who this week's show was supposed to be about, that we fucking forget about having an actual good time for fucking Christmas. But I've learned over the years that trying to make something perfect is a fast track to fucking it up. And hey, I've had some horrible Christmases and I've talked about them for years on this show. But you know what? Here at the end of the show, I'm going to bring it up a little bit. A little bit of positivity. I don't think I have ever talked my, about my best 
Christmas ever. Because what made my best Christmas ever was the fact that it was 7,000 miles from any fucking family drama. It was my family's first Christmas on Guam. Guam is a tropical island. So all the things usually associated with Christmas, snow, fir trees, eggnogs, that's not a thing on Guam. You decorated a fucking palm tree. And I don't know if you've ever thought about drinking eggnog at 80 fucking degrees, but trust me, Eggnog is shit at 30 degrees, but at 80 degrees, it's a fast track to vomit town. So on this particular Christmas day, my family decided that we were going to do something completely different because otherwise it could have been super depressing. We woke up, did our usual Christmas things, had breakfast, opened presents, and that was fucking great. And then we hopped in the car and drove about 10 miles to a pristine white sand beach with absolutely no one on it. We walked on the shore, we had a picnic on the beach, and reveled in what could only be described as an, an anti-Christmas. It was so unlike anything I had ever experienced in my life that it is forever branded in my brain as the best Christmas ever. The sun, the sea, the sand, the gulls, just the beautiful emptiness of it hell it's not just the perfect christmas ever it damn well might be the my most perfect day ever it was just me and the people i loved and that was fucking what christmas was supposed to be about dear santa fuck you and fuck christmas all because we had that beach to ourselves on christmas day that is it for the show this week. Look at me ending the show on a wholesome, upbeat note. Right, hopefully that'll make up for the horrible stories I told you during the show. And if it doesn't, well, I mean, you did choose to listen to the show. So that is on you. We're wrapping up 2023, and we've got just one more show before year's end, and this will be our traditional year interview where we look back at all the weird shit that happened over the past year. And look for it somewhere's on or around Christmas, depending on when I make... Gavin, go into the studio and do production work. Listening to it will have give you something to do while you're not sitting on a pristine white sand beach with the people you love, but in a fart-smelling tube flying home from yet another acrimonious visit with people you only see once a year and you think that's far too often. Speaking of fart-smelling tubes, yeah, okay, that segue doesn't really work at all, but we're trying to bump up the positivity on the show, rate and review the show so others can find us and tune in for the kind of wholesome, uplifting content that only comes after I've told humorous but horrible stories based around the happiest time of the year. Kick us a dollar at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast when we promise not to use that money to buy lumps of coal for Gavin's stocking. Again, meaning, of course, that's exactly what we're going to use it for. Do all of the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits, otherwise he will be visited by three ghosts of podcast past, present, and future. And so for me, Dave... Don't, Don't tell me tell not me to cry and not to, to pout because Santa Claus is freaking me out. Bledsoe, producer. Santa like, how can a fat man fit down my chimney carrying all those presents for you and me? Gavin, and all the fictional Carls with Santa hats over their holiday wreaths on this show, we want to say. No, seriously, you'll have a lot better time if you just go to the beach on Christmas. Trust me, best goddamn Christmas ever. And we'll see you all next week. Do you think you do?
What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. It'll be a year in review. Maybe I'll throw you a little something.